Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information. A podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here. Remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. So what have hormones got to do with it, you ask? Yes, you've all heard that women get hormonal or affected by hormones during adolescence, pregnancy, and in menopause. We hear a lot of dismissive talk about, oh, she's probably hormonal when we get emotional or weepy or upset. This is often used as a way to minimize or dismiss our emotions or the changes that happen in us, to ignore the roles hormones play in our transformation from little girls to young women to mothers to grandmothers, is to do the sacredness of womanhood a disservice. So what have hormones got to do with pregnancy, birth and beyond? And why should we care? In this episode, I will reflect on the importance of hormones and how our lack of understanding and of consideration of this role can be detrimental and often prevents us from having gentle births. In previous episodes, I have talked about how our fear affects our view of childbirth and the importance of loving our bodies and nurturing ourselves during this precious time. In my last episode, I talked about consent and gave examples of how women's bodies during pregnancy and birth are not treated with respect and how we need to take back ownership of our bodies and demand respect. I have shared my experiences and the experiences of the women I have supported as a doula, and in all of these, good and bad, Hormones have played a role in the outcome. My appreciation of the role and importance of hormones during pregnancy and birth and beyond happened during my doula training. One of the books I was asked to read is titled Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Sarah Buckley, an Australian doctor who, along with Ina May Gaskin, an American midwife, revolutionized my understanding and attitudes towards pregnancy, childbirth and beyond. These women's work is phenomenal and they blew my mind. They have written the kinds of books you read and you keep thinking, wow, 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 this is incredible. How can this be possible? Is this really true? Why don't I know this? But if you keep still and listen, a deep part of you inside knows that what they are writing is true and knew it all along. It was just buried so deep under the fear-based messages that society has fed us in order to gain control over our bodies and our minds. It takes a certain courage to accept that what these women share, based on their personal experiences as mothers and as practitioners, is true and resonates. Once we open our minds and embrace the knowledge that these women and many others share, we are well on our way to reclaiming our feminine power. So what is the secret knowledge that many women have never heard of or been exposed to? It's not really secret. It's often hidden in plain sight. But because of our conditioning and because we tend to gravitate towards flashy websites and focus on the experiences of pop stars, actresses, models and influencers in glossy magazines, our eyes often gloss over the valuable information found in books that look simple or maybe even old-fashioned. 
and we end up filling our heads with information that drains us and makes us feel even more insecure instead of informing, nourishing, and nurturing us. One of the most shocking facts I learned was that a lot of the medical interventions and the interference with the woman's body, especially during birth, interferes with the natural processes in the body. So all the statistics about rising caesareans, the growing number of interventions to help babies out, the damage done to women because babies have to be cut out or pulled out, are partly caused by the technologies that we have so embraced in the name of safety. Yes, many more babies and mothers survive than they did a hundred years ago, but this is not only due to technology, but to improved knowledge and understanding of our physiology, better training of healthcare providers, early intervention in high-risk pregnancies, and most of all, hygiene. Hygiene is one of the biggest public health revolutions of our time, and just having clean environments has made a big difference during birth. But high-risk pregnancies are still a minority. Many of the challenges that we face during pregnancy, birth, and postnatally are caused by the changes in our lifestyles. The excessive consumption, the poor quality of the food we eat, whether by choice or because we lack the resources or the knowledge, the sedentary lives we lead. We have lost touch with our instincts, given our bodies over to experts, and learned to fear a natural process. Birth is shrouded in mystery and misinformation. We do not learn about the magic that starts to happen from the time a sperm and an egg fuse together, the magic of hormones. So I'm not going to go into deep biological details because that's not the aim of this episode. All I want to do is to make you aware so you can go out and find out more. Hormones are made in what is called our primitive brain or the limbic system, the original part of our brain that is similar to animals and that governs our instincts. This is different from the neocortex, which as you can tell from the name is the new part of our brain, what differentiates us from animals what I will refer to as our thinking brain, where our rationality resides, the place where we spend most of our time. I won't go into every hormone there is in detail. There's so much knowledge out there and much research has been done, but we still don't fully understand exactly what happens. So our knowledge is still partial, but what we do know is amazing and should make us stop in awe at what our bodies are capable of. We have estrogen and progesterone, which I'm sure you've all heard about. These are what Sarah Buckley calls the prime movers. They help to prepare the body and they reorganize the hormone systems. These hormones are usually present in our bodies at varying levels, but during pregnancy and birth, their levels increase more than tenfold and more, depending on the stage of pregnancy and the role they're supposed to play. Oxytocin is another hormone that plays a crucial role. This hormone has been dubbed the love hormone, as it is connected to sex, orgasm, birth, and breastfeeding, events or activities closely linked to love. It is a feel-good hormone and is not only produced by the mother, but also by the baby, showing that pregnancy and birth is not a one-way process, but a symbiotic process between the mother and the baby, almost like a dance. Oxytocin is released during pregnancy and during birth and plays a role in helping the uterus contract during labor it's released as the baby's about to be born when the, head's, when the head is crowning. A flood of this hormone is released to boost the uterus contractions even more. These extra strong contractions help to push the baby out. This hormone continues to be released once the baby is born. And as the baby nuzzles and licks at its mother's breast, more hormone is released 
She gazes at her baby and is filled with love. This causes the uterus to continue to contract, and after the placenta comes out, the uterus further contracts, and this protects the mother from excessive postpartum bleeding. These are just a few of the roles of this amazing hormone. Another hormone that we're all very familiar with, or at least have heard of, is the endorphin, which is a naturally occurring opiate. So our bodies even produce their own drugs. We knew that. This is a natural painkiller and is produced when our bodies are under pain or stress. Like oxytocin, it's also produced during sex, birth and breastfeeding and gives us feelings of pleasure and euphoria, a natural high. During labor, this hormone helps the woman cope with pain, especially if birth is undisturbed. And after birth, it helps to encourage physical contact and the closeness that, de that develops between mother and baby. Oxytocin and endorphins work together during birth. When pain is high, extra high, endorphins are released and this blocks the release of oxytocin, which causes the birth to slow down and the pain levels to recede since pain is caused by strong contractions. So in this way, the hormones work together to help our bodies manage the stress, whether it's physiological, psychological, during birth. The final hormones I'll talk about are the fight or flight hormones, adrenaline and noradrenaline. These are hormones that are produced when we are in a state of fear, hunger, cold or excitement. During labour, these hormones levels are low until we approach the end of the labour, the final, most challenging part of birth, transition. The time when the baby's head is about to emerge and contractions are extreme and women have been heard to say, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to go home. It's the part of birth where, as a doula, I found I have to step in and take a more active role to directly support the birthing women or to help guide their partners in supporting them. This sudden surge in hormones is quite overwhelming, but it's the body's way of getting the body ready to push. So I always tell my clients that when you get to this stage, get excited. It's hard, but you know the end is near and your baby is about to come out. So these hormones bring a rush of energy and strength. The woman can feel fear, excitement, or even anger. And this may be the stage when partners get really sworn at. And there's often a feeling of desperation, lack of control, panic. The breath is shallow, and there's a need to grab, squeeze, or bite. I remember biting my best friend's hand during transition with my first child. I felt so guilty once I realized I'd sunk my teeth deep into her hand and immediately stopped and started apologizing. She looked at me and said, it's okay, you know, although she, I could see she was in pain. I tried to do the same to my husband during the birth of our daughter, but he noticed, and having heard the story of my poor friend's hand, he redirected my teeth to the birthing pool. Luckily, the pool was made of strong rubber. At this point, both the adrenaline hormones and oxytocin work together to make sure the baby comes out quickly and successfully. These hormones are also present in the baby. Labor is stressful for the baby. Imagine being squeezed on and off for hours, and the hormones protect the baby. It gets a surge of adrenaline hormones as it is about to be born. This increases levels of sugars and fats the baby needs and increases the baby's metabolism, protecting it from low blood sugar in its brain, which can happen when it's suddenly separated from the placenta, the baby's main source of nourishment up to that point. Prolactin is the breastfeeding hormone, but I won't go into detail at this point. I will talk about it in later episodes on the postnatal period and breastfeeding. So this is a very quick overview of the key hormones and their function during pregnancy and birth. 
If we have all these guys, all these hormones working so hard, being produced, controlled by our instinctive brain, why is it that we don't all have problem-free birth experiences? The body has all the tools. So what's going wrong? Interventions and the environment. This episode is titled, Shh, Do Not Disturb, for a reason. When we interfere with a woman's body and don't leave her to follow her body's instincts, we inhibit and mess up the hormones work. The birth space should be quiet, dim, or dark, with as little interruption as possible. Soothing music can be played and people can talk, but only in hushed tones and when necessary. The woman should be touched or handled as little as possible. This gives her time to retreat and allow her instinctive brain to take over. As this part of her takes over, the hormones can then be released and it's like an orchestra or a beautiful composition as the hormones work with the mother and the baby, releasing, withdrawing, ebbing and flowing according to whatever the stage and with everything happening at the right time. So that's the ideal situation. But let's think of what usually happens. Women usually go into labor at night when they are calm after a long day, feeling tired and sleepy. It's quiet and dark and they feel safe. Then things start. A first-time mother may feel excitement, fear, and panic. When the feelings of fear and panic, then the levels of adrenaline go up, not giving the oxytocin time to do its work, resulting in blocking the gradual rise of contractions. If the woman is relaxed, things start off well, she's relaxed but not fearful, and the oxytocin levels gradually build up, the contractions get stronger, and soon she feels it's time to go to hospital. They leave the comfort of their home, get into the car, drive however long to the hospital, when they get there, bright lights, strange environment, hanging around being registered. And what happens? The adrenaline, fight or flight hormones surge. They are now on alert. She's left the safety and coziness of her home. Now she's in this strange, bright, threatening place. What often happens is labor stops. Sometimes women are sent home or they're kept in, depending on how far they're dilated. That is why as long as you feel safe and there are no worrying signs, it's best to stay at home as long as possible until what we call established labor is in place. This means that the contractions are nicely established, they're regular and strong, the hormones are working well, and even if labor stops, given time to settle and relax, it will restart again. Usually, once the woman feels safe again, if she's settled in a pleasant room that feels cozy and homely, with her things around her and a partner to support her, and if she's treated with respect and concern, the hormones will kick in, the adrenaline will, will, will recede, and oxytocin will rise again, and things will go as planned. Unfortunately, this is not often the case. There's usually some time given, but not much, and then the caregivers start interfering. So, for example, things I mentioned in the last episode, vaginal examinations, these are not comfortable and will only cause the woman to tense. To give an example with my first client, it was nighttime and they called me to say labor had started. And when I got there, the couple had already been to the hospital and been sent back. I asked why they hadn't called me first, but this was their first child and they were nervous. So that was the first disruption. When we got her settled and labor progressed until I sensed that the contractions were now established, we went to hospital. When we got there, we were met by a lovely midwife, put into a nice room, and everything continued to progress. We then got a change of midwife as a shift change. And this really made all the difference. Where the first midwife had been lovely, calm, and taken a back seat, this midwife 
brought different restless energy into the room. She fussed around my client and kept fussing around her and I could tell that this was irritating my client. She then stopped progressing and dilation stopped at seven centimeters. She was there for quite some time and I know this because she was checked so many times, which didn't help. I could see she'd come out of the deep place where she'd been and was now more in her thinking brain instead of her instinctive brain. After trying different things, the midwife eventually sent us downstairs because she was worried that my client was getting tired and her contractions were no longer effective. We then moved from a dim, calm, homely room to bright lights, a clinical environment, restricted movement so they could continue, continuously monitor the baby's heartbeat and the frequency of her contractions using a belt. It's what's called a cascade of interventions, which interfered with the calm of the process, the flow of hormones, and resulted in a birth experience that was far from gentle. Use of medication to stop pain or artificial hormones to induce birth also interfere with the hormones of birth. The body knows what hormones to produce when. So when caregivers introduce artificial oxytocin into a woman's body, no matter how careful they are, this is not done in a gradual way that the body does, and it hasn't been made by the body for that specific woman. So of course, as I've been told by those who've been induced, the onset of an induced labor is sudden and very painful. This then leads to the woman being given artificial painkillers to help her manage the pain, which further interferes with her natural hormones. The whole process becomes what is called an actively managed birth, which in most cases is unpleasant, causes more pain, and usually requires an assisted birth. This results in trauma for both the baby and the mother because neither, neither gets the opportunity to fully release the hormones needed at each stage. Epidurals have become many women's painkiller of choice and can also interfere with the birth process as they will inhibit the adrenaline hormones. If the epidural is too strong, then the woman cannot move. And so she's lying down, which slows labor down even more. She's no longer active. The stimulation of the uterus may also be blocked up, may be also be blocked by the epidural. So all that pain that you want to avoid may actually result in you having a more problematic birth than you would have had if you had trusted your body. I have seen an epidural being administered sensitively though, where my client was so tired and the birth had stopped progressing. This was a home birth, so we moved her from home to the hospital. And because we had a home birth midwife with us, the transition from home to hospital was not disruptive. She was handed over to the hospital midwives and our midwife made sure she was comfortable before she left. So although we were in a clinical environment, she still felt safe and both myself and her partner were there. She was given an epidural to help her rest and once I was happy, and for once I was happy to see an epidural because it had been a long process. She went off to sleep and after she had rested, then the anaesthetist reduced the epidural. Her hormones kicked in again and the contraction started and she ended up having a positive birth experience and giving birth naturally as she'd wanted without additional intervention. So that shows that there are times when medication is helpful, but this should not be a first choice. Give your body a chance to do what it can do. Sometimes there are other elements that get in the way and intervention is necessary, but this should be done in a calm and supportive way, only when I have to finish this episode with a happy birth story. When my first client was pregnant with their second child, she asked me if I could be their doula again. I was happy to do this, hoping to make up what I saw as failure on my part as a doula, but 
for not being able to protect her from the cascade of interventions in her first birth. Around the time she was due, I got a call from her husband telling me she was in labour. I could hear her moaning loudly in the background. He sounded quite panicky and said he would take her to hospital. I told him I would come to their house, but he said I should go straight to hospital as he thought things were happening quickly. I decided to go to the house first anyway, just in case, and if I missed them, I'd follow to hospital. I called a taxi which took me to their house, and when I got there, they were still at home, and she was in the bedroom. She said the baby was on the way, and it was too late to go to hospital. He was on the phone, calling an ambulance, and then talking to a doctor. I watched her. The room was dim, and she was rocking on her hips, on her hands and knees on the bed. I could see that the baby was close from the sounds she was making. She was deep in her instinctive brain. And at some point, I went around and checked and saw the baby's head crowning. The baby was going to be born at home. I was panicking inside, but I stayed calm on the outside and quietly encouraging. I told her to just follow her body and go with her instincts. The ambulance guys arrived and I thought, thank God, some experts. But they were alone. There was no midwife or doctor with them. And they looked uncertain and very happy to see me and asked if I was a midwife. I said, no, I'm a doula, but I do know something about birth. And they looked relieved. So the men stood aside, watching nervously, and I knelt in front of her, just quietly encouraging her, breathing with her. When it came to pushing, I talked her through the breathing, but I didn't do much. She just trusted her body. The next thing, we had a beautiful baby girl on the bed. It was amazing. We were all on a high, mum, dad, doula, and the ambulance men. It was such a relief that she had delivered the baby safely at home. But for me, it was also amazing evidence wisdom and capability of the body. Your body knows what to do. Even when I think of it now, I get goosebumps. It was one of the most beautiful, awe-inspiring moments of my life and definitely the highlight of my doula career. The body knows what to do. We just have to nurture it and trust it. Trust our bodies and trust ourselves because our hormones are just waiting for us to provide the ideal conditions for them. Our instinctive animal brain is ready for us to give it a chance to show what it was made for, what it has perfected over generations. And we, with our arrogant thinking brains, think we can do better? We can't. And it's time we acknowledge that when it comes to healthy women, the best policy is, shh, do not disturb. My next episode will be especially for birth partners where I'll reflect on how you can support your partners during pregnancy and birth. It's titled, Let's Hear It For The Boys, although I acknowledge that not all birth partners are men. The majority are men, and I think it may be useful for them to get a specific episode addressing them. But of course, what I'll talk about will also be relevant for other partners. I hope you will join me. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungi Sai, reminding you to reclaim your power.